Hey Circle, welcome to church. We are definitely in a new season, whether that's when you think about, I guess, new leadership uh, from myself or even in COVID. We're, we're sort of going through COVID and hopefully we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and we have to be preparing ourselves for that, uh, for that new season as well. But however you've got here, whether you've been here for many, many years, maybe even some of you that are watching right now have preceded Pastor Eldon being here. Maybe you're just here for the first time, first or second time, and you're wondering what's going on. Uh, but there's something that you see, there's something that you've experienced already that has kept you on and uh, and is attractive to you. Can I just say for every single one of you, whether you're at one end of the spectrum, anywhere in between or at the other end of the spectrum, you belong here. And we want you to find your fit. We want you to come back next week. We want you to be able to say, this is my home. And as I said, we are in a new season. One of the, the things that I guess has been going over in my head over the last week or so is just this simple phrase that we are replanting a church from the seeds of a previous harvest. We're taking what, uh, what Pastor Eldon and the team and even the, the pastors before him have planted and have seen a harvest. And we have the privilege of taking that, taking that resource and saying we're, we're replanting a church. And uh, you know, we're, we're saying this is, this is how we're moving forward, but we're taking from the past and we're committing to the future. And uh, a new, new season doesn't negate the value or the direction of the previous season. It simply means we are continuing to move forward in the same direction. And I, I hope for all of us, we have a, we have a, a, I guess a thinking around saying we honor the past, but we commit to the future. So church, if you're ready to come around the word of God, I am ready to preach, but first let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege that we have in being in your house, even if it's online, God. We have the privilege of being in your house with your people in your presence. I thank you for the worship that we have, uh, I guess, experienced, but also being able to give in our homes. And God, I pray for those that don't know you. I pray that in some way, what has been said, what has been experienced, God, what, what you have done in people's lives in this short space of time that we have together will cause every single one of us in some way to love you just a bit more. And for those that don't know you, God, I pray that they will turn their thoughts and attention towards you. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, at the end of what I say today, I'm going to give an opportunity and I'm going to give a challenge for those of you that have never accepted Jesus. To, to come to know him, to hand your life over to him. Or maybe you're here and you're watching and you've, you've fallen away like the prodigal, you've gone your own way. But I'm gonna extend that challenge to you because there is a loving father that waits with open arms to say, come home. But first, let's get into the word. Daniel Defoe wrote, he wrote of a beautiful island with a beautiful beaches and palm trees and a perfect blue sea, the sun, gorgeous, fresh food. But he described it as a horrible, desolate island. And, you know, for us, as, we, as we're in, in lockdown, but also suffering the cold and, and all that comes with it, we think, how could that be described as a horrible, desolate island? Because Robinson Crusoe was alone. 
John Donne, who was a poet and a pastor in the 17th century, wrote in a, in a piece for, for King Charles. He said, no man is an island entire of himself. Every man is a piece of the continent, part of the main. You see, at that moment in time, that period in time for his life, he was ill. He was near death. And at the time when he needed people the most, the time when he craved human interaction was when they avoided him because they feared infection from what he had. He knew that he needed the people around him. And maybe we can relate to that at the moment where we're, people are living in fear of each other, but we crave social interaction. T.S. Eliot, another poet, said, what life have you if you have not life together? Kanye, a modern day poet, laments the loss of some of his friendships in his song, Real Friends. He says this, looking for my real friends. How many of us? How many of us are real friends? To real friends, to the real end, to 3 a.m. calling. How many real friends? Just to ask you a question. How many? We need each other, not just to be in the same location, but to be of the same heart. And this is the season for us as a church in terms of it's not just a series. This is this is our vision for this year to bring alignment, to bring us back together, to get us ready to be in the same room together as one. We've looked at living as as one in community and reflecting the gospel of Jesus. We've looked at, at living as one with an undivided heart and reaching out in kindness. Last week, we looked at living as one, both in our grief and in our celebrating. And, and today, what I want to do is talk about worshipping as one. Two areas, particularly of, of worship, both the physical, both are physical expressions that become actually spiritual worship. Romans 12 verse 1 says, it, says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's everything that's physical about us, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, or another, another version says, or spiritual worship. You see, when we offer what is physical about us in worship to God, it actually becomes a spiritual entity in itself. We express our worship in different ways. It's not just through singing, but I do want to talk about that. We express our worship in giving, also in corporate singing and music. And both of those are actually overflows of our heart. Have you noticed that those two issues can actually be quite divisive in the church itself? I don't know if you've heard about the worship wars. And then essentially it comes down to people fighting over styles of music. What what different uh, style do you like? What what I like the old style or I like the new style or I like this. Or I like that. And actually, they begin to fight over just how how notes are, are on a sheet are put together. Well, there's the give our giving as well. You know, and we can almost have this attitude. You can't tell me what to do with my money. This, for me, actually, if I can be a bit honest, has actually been the hardest one to prepare because there is so much information, so much, so much in the Bible about, about both of these aspects of worship, but also so much that is written about it as well. It's not what to put in. It's actually what to leave out. 
But I do want to focus and bring our focus, not what, what's about my worship and my giving, but what, it is, what is it about our worship and our giving as one, our unity as a church. You see, we th- when we think about, we're not called to be like our culture around us that no one knows the difference. Yes, we want to be relevant, but we're not called to be the same as the culture around us. We are called to be so much like Jesus that we reflect him, not our culture. So does our worship, both in our singing, our corporate singing and our corporate giving, reflect Jesus? There is, I guess you notice, so much division in the world at the moment, economic division, political, racial, gender. But we, the church, are called to be a city on a hill. Can I can I personalize it? We as circle are called to be a city on a hill, a place that reflects the gospel of Jesus, his sacrificial living, his sacrificial death, a place that reflects his community, that looks after its own, that welcomes the stranger with open arms. A place that reflects our lives given over to our creator and a place that always points people to Jesus. And one of the scriptures that has, has meant so much over this period of time to me and what I'm trying to bring to you is from Philippians 1, 27 to 28. Let me read it to you. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. This is the phrase that I keep coming back to for us and starting off with whatever happens. No, no get out for our particular circumstances or situation. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of being to a, a developing nation. I've been to Africa quite a few times. I've been to India and I've actually seen some of the worst slums that you could in the world. I've been to uh, Tanzania many times and I love that country. Both Dee and I love that place. But you see, if you've been to a, a developing nation, you will, see, you will see generosity that blows you away. They practice it. They live it out. When we went to Tanzania with uh, Compassion, the organisation, I particularly was humbled by the generosity of people that had nothing. I was given, as the pastor, because we took gifts in, I was given a live chicken. Wasn't quite sure what to do with it, but that was the person's livelihood. And it would have been an affront to them to to actually refuse that gift. And what they did was they took what they had and they gave it to me. I was so humbled in that moment. And when we think about our singing and our our corporate uh, worship together, you see, sometimes the people in the harshest environments are often the most passionate worshippers when it comes to expressing themselves with music and singing. I want to ask us the question, what does our behaviour reflect? Or or let me put it a slightly different way. What does our worship reflect? And particularly in these two areas of our corporate singing and our corporate giving, because we were created to worship. It's what the Bible tells us. We were created to worship. And so we will do so. I'm not just talking about those people of faith. I'm talking about every single person will worship. It's not whether we worship the question. It is what will we worship? 
So what do we worship? Our priorities in life show what we worship. And we, when we read the word of God, we're commanded not to worship anything that we create. Don't put any, any, any created images before God. And it's easy to say, you know, I look around our house and, well, I, there's nothing here that I would bow down to. <clears throat> but what, do we, what else do we create? We create our education. We create philosophy. We create money. We create work. We create relationships. We create family. We create leisure time. I want to ask myself, as well as all of us, do we place any of these above our priority for God? Have any of these taken, taken hold as a priority in our lives? When we place our worship outside God, we place ourselves outside of his grace. Jonah 2 verse 8 says this, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. We place ourselves outside God will always love us, but we can place ourselves outside as recipients of that love and that grace. That word idol there that's used, it, it means something that's temporary. It's not just a, a, a wooden image or a gold image or something that they would bow down to. It actually means something that is temporary. It's not eternal. It's actually worthless. And when we're talking we're not just talking about physical idols there. That word cling means to revere as well. So it's not just about holding on to something that's physical. It's about giving something all of our attention. It's about putting something in a place above God. So again, the question is not will we worship? The question really is what will we worship? What will we cling to and revere above God? So as a church community, is our worship and conduct worthy of the gospel, the sacrifice, the love, the grace, the forgiveness of Jesus? Can we, as, can we be a church that reflects that same love and sacrifice of Jesus through our giving and our singing as one? When people look at us and even online, when people look at us or when, you know, when we have the privilege of getting back together as one within a building. What what will what behaviours will people see? Philippians 2, 1 to 3 says this. If you have therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ or as one with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Again, that passage of scripture is so incredible. So many things can be said about it and, and, and talked about it. But it's talking about tenderness and compassion and joy and like-minded, one in spirit, one in mind. Not, not ambitious, not, not conceited, but humility, having rather in humility value others above themselves. When people walk in to our church or experience our community in its many forms, will they see people? And I believe they will. I believe that they will experience that. But will they see the a people, a community that put the interests of others above themselves. See, when we when we look at the outside world, 
we ask ourselves, what's the primary interest of the world around us? What, what, is it Maslow's hierarchy of needs? For us as the church, our primary need is to be in relationship with our creator, to be reconciled, to come back into relationship with God. The Bible in the, or the New Testament uses this simple phrase koinonia. And it's a, it's a word that, that is so rich in meaning. It's not just about hanging out together. It means fellowship, but fellowship is a much bigger word. Acts 2.42 tells us that the first church, the early church, devoted themselves to this koinonia, to fellowship. A community, it means communion by, by intimate participation. But it also has, has fuller meanings. It's not, just, it's not just people that live in the same geographical location. It's about relationship with each other and with the Holy Spirit. But it also means interaction, communicating with each other, sharing with each other, growing with each other. It means uh, it has the meaning of when we share breaking of bread together, when we take communion, when we remember Jesus's sacrifice like we did last week. But there's another meaning as well. See, the same word for fellowship is also used for a financial contribution. Romans 15, 26 says this, for Macedonia and Achaia, I should have looked at this word and got the right pronunciation first. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a koinonia, a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They gave because they were in fellowship. It's a contribution. It's giving to the community, but also giving from the community. It's what they did together as one. And so we see that, that this koinonia, actually, when people look at the behaviour, we see God's grace working through the community. Acts 4, 33 to 34 says this, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work. People, that's what people notice, God's grace powerfully at work in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned houses or, or land sold them and brought the money from the sales. They didn't live in one nice big hippie commune. It was, it was about stewardship and ownership. They didn't count what they had as their own. They said, this is God's. And therefore, when I see need, I can contribute with others to meeting the needs within our community. Imagine that. Imagine people not just seeing what we do on a Sunday, but they, they walk into church and seeing no unmet need. And I'm loving hearing stories coming back from our circle groups of needs being met within those groups. People saying, I can meet that need. We together can meet that need and them doing so. When we read the word of God, we can see that one person can inspire a community to give as one. In, in 1 Chronicles 29, it talks of David and giving of his wealth to help build the temple. And that actually inspired the leaders, which inspired the people to give to build the temple as well. But then the interesting thing, I love this, that as they all began to give together, it actually promoted worship towards God. Generosity inspired worship. I don't know where this phrase come from but I, I hear every pastor coins it as their own 
so uh, I may as well do. Yeah, I, uh, I was thinking about this phrase the other day, and it's, it's the phrase, not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. Where we give together, we worship together. We make a sacrifice at times to sometimes to give beyond ourselves, sometimes to work within our, our means and, and, and say so we can give together to help build God's house. But why do we give? Why do we give? Yes, we, maybe because we see need, but actually we give for deeper meanings than that. We give as followers of Christ because we have taken on the nature of Christ and giving is in his nature. We give because it enlarges our world. Proverbs eleven twenty four tells us that the world of the, the generous grows larger. We, we give because it makes a way into different environments. Proverbs 18, 16 tells us that the gift opens the way into the presence of great people. Let me ask us all a question. Would we say we are generous? And if we, if we can say yes, how does that then show in our life every day? Do you know that, that generosity is not just about an individual thing? It can actually be a national thing. The World Giving Index of 2020 says that actually the Indonesians are the most generous, followed by the Australians. The US is up there in the top five as well, just above the Canadians, just above us. You see, generosity and giving, it's not just a me thing, it's actually a we thing. We form a culture when we decide together as one. Can we decide and commit to being a generous church? And I'm by no means saying we're not because I've loved seeing the videos of, of us giving to our local and global partners. But we actually need to commit to that continuing. It's not just a one-off thing or, or, or a big gesture. It's no, we do that. Doing that doesn't make us a generous church. We do that because we're a generous church. And we give together. Our focus, as it says in 1 Peter 2, is to declare his praises. And as we give and as we, I guess, declare his praises with our voice, we point people towards Jesus. You know, we can often think that our worship, both in, in, in financial form and in, in our expression through music, is simply our gift to God. But can I ask you to maybe think of it slightly differently as well? Not in place of, but as well. What if it's also God's gift to us? You see, our worship is towards God. But Isaiah 43 tells us that, that we were created to praise God and we were created for his glory. Therefore, we were made to worship him. To point, to point our attention and reverence towards him. And so what if our giving to God is God's way of not allowing greed and materialism or even anxiety about provision to control our lives and take him out of place of where he should be as number one? You see, we choose to give because we trust Yahweh Jireh, God, our provider. What if our singing and physical expression of worship that we do, you know, hopefully in our living rooms, but definitely as we come together on a Sunday in person. What if our singing and physical expressions of worship that we give to God are his way of not allowing our current circumstances to control our emotions and our decisions? You see, when we enter into into a corporate place of worship, 
Our attention is taken away from ourselves and we we begin to focus on who God is. And we choose we choose to worship with our emotions because we trust Elohim, the Lord Almighty, the creator who is who is the supreme authority and sovereign over every situation. When we worship him, we realize he is so much bigger than our current circumstances. Worship was summed up by Archbishop William Temple, who was probably one of the most significant Anglican churchmen of the 20th century or the early 20th century. He said this, worship is the submission of all our nature, the quickening of our conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind by his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of our heart to his love and submission of our will to his purpose. All this gathered up in adoration, the greatest expression of which we are capable. How incredible is that quote? By this definition, you see, it's not about our purpose. It's not about our will. It is about submitting our will to his. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 16 says this, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. We were created. We were created for him. We find our purpose in him. And then his gifts to us, we give back to him to show that he he is Elohim. He is Yahweh Jireh. Quite a few years ago, an incredible leader in one of the churches over here. Some of you may have heard of him or, or the expression that he created, Soul Survivor. He wrote a book that that really positively influenced a generation on worship. And it was called for the audience of one. Our worship is towards God. And the whole concept was that we we don't worship for anyone else, but we worship for God alone. Not the person sitting next to us in church, not the worship team, not for the church as a whole, but for God and only him. And it was an amazing reminder of us as we try to create those those environments for people to come in and worship. But actually, it's about our worship towards God. But maybe we've swung swung the pendulum a bit too far. Have we forgotten the benefits of us worshipping together in unity as one? The church worshipping together with one voice. You see, we were created in the image of God, who himself is community. So we were created to worship and we were created for for community. Then it goes that we were also created for worship within community. A few weeks ago, I spoke about the church being a divine conspiracy. And that word, you know, it's got so many different connotations now. And uh, but actually the simple meaning of the word con means with, spire means to breathe. It means to breathe together. And never do we find that more real than when we sing together. Singing together helps us form in unity. You see, we sing for the audience of one, but, but doing so, we actually become one in body. Singing does something in us. Martin Luther said this, at home in my own house, there's no warmth or vigor in me. 
But in church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. One aspect of church life that I consistently hear at the moment is is that we want to be both in the presence of God and that we want to be in the presence of people singing together. Our worship is towards God, but it's also his gift to us that we give back to him. And in doing so, our worship begins to form us. You see, Psalm 133, which is an incredible psalm, talks about unity. It talks about the, 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 the oil flowing down Aaron's beard. And the, the Holy Spirit is represented in that moment by the oil and, and throughout the Bible. And so, so as we worship together, Unity is what God wants from us. The word, the word corporate has actually been taken, has taken on a business meaning, but it, but it actually means to form into a body. So our corporate worship has nothing to do with business or anything like that. It actually means as we corporately worship, it reinforces our biblical identity as a body, that unity that we are called into in Psalm 103, 133, sorry. So we rejoice. As I talked about last week, we rejoice as one, but we rejoice in worship as one. Our songs of celebration, but we also mourn in worship as one. And these are our, our songs of lament that we sing together. When we come together, we can actually sometimes come at our lowest point. The phrase I used a while back in preaching was, church should be the best place to have your worst day. I don't know if you've ever got up on a Sunday and felt like you're going back to bed, but you've dragged yourself to church. And despite how you felt, you've decided to give yourself over to worship. To, to, I mean, sometimes just to, to overcome your emotions in the decision. This is not about how I feel, but this is about me declaring the praises to the king. And as we begin to sing together, not only are your emotions lifted, but your faith is also lifted. Let me remind us of a couple of verses from Revelation 7 verses 9 and 10. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. You see, when we worship, when we bring our reverence together as one, it really does give us this glimpse of heaven. As we raise our hands, as we point our attention and reverence towards God, we are declaring in that moment, yes, we're on earth, but we're actually participating in what we're going to do in heaven. Our corporate worship expressed in music and singing is not about us, but it is for us as well. It's God's gift to us and we give it back to him. So let me, let me just backtrack a bit to our giving, if I may. Our worship is expressed in the stewardship of our finances. And I want to ask us the question is, is generosity a future ambition or a present reality? Here's an interesting, interesting way of thinking about it. When, when do you start being generous? When do you start giving? How many of you would find it okay if you had $100 to give $10 for the benefit of others? 
I think most of us will be able to say, yeah, I, I could do that. But what about giving $100 if you had $1,000? Here's a bigger one. What about giving $10,000 if you had $100,000? You see, unless, unless we start small, unless we have it as a, as a, a, a habit of grace in our lives, we will never be able to build a culture. Many people will say, yeah, but when I get to this stage of income or when I get to this, this uh, I guess, margin of money in my life, then I'll start to be able to give. Then I'll start to be able to generous, be generous. But actually, we need to start with where we are and move forward from there. What we, dis what we give is decided in our hearts as individuals, but we also give. When we give, we give as a community as well. And so as a church, we give together. We engage in stewardship alongside others in community. We walk the road with others. But not only are we walking the road, we're actually bringing other people with us on that journey as well. It's not just a passive thing. We're taking each other on this journey. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this. Let us consider how, many, how we may spur or encourage or bring each other, one another, on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more. So an increasing fashion as you see the day approaching, we spur each other on to good deeds. It's like a gym partner. You're in the gym. I know I'm, I'm using the gym analogy again, the second week in a row, um, but you're in the gym and and you know, you're encouraging your partner. You can always do more when you're there with a partner that's saying, come on, you can do this. We encourage, we're encouraged to meet and we're encouraged towards good deeds, not just to hang out, but to meet with purpose, to gather as Christians, to worship. <laughs> How many of us have actually encouraged someone else in, it, in their giving? That's a tough one, isn't it? Say, come on, guys, let's give together. Man, that's, that's touching something there when you start doing that. But that's what it's saying here. Let's encourage each other. Let's spur one another on. Not in a not in a guilt trip, but a come on, we're in this together. In this time of pandemic, have we, the church, the larger church, I guess, as well, retreated into ourselves or are we reaching into our world? And I mentioned several times that we want to begin to use our technology much more effectively to, to reach your friends, to reach your neighbours, to reach your colleagues, not just for the now, but also into the future as we begin to come back together again. I had a lovely email from one of our older congregation within Circle thanking me for, for having church online because it's really helped them to stay connected and also bring other people into that connection as well. You know, I, I received the email of thanks, but the reality is it, it's had nothing to do with me. The team that have done it, the team that have, uh, I guess, made that switch this time last year have been the ones that have carried that and done that. But it was really nice to see someone simply appreciating being able to be part of a church and connect to church. But here's the point that I keep wanting to, to make. We need to keep people connected via technology. It actually involves us giving together to help that to continue. And we can do that as we add our contributions together. It's not about one or two people giving, it's about us, the church, saying, with the overflow of what I have, I'm able to give to help this, this aspect of church life, this window into our church life to continue. We worship together 
And although at the moment our singing may look very different from what it will in a few months' time, we can still worship in our living rooms. So I want to encourage us in both of these aspects, let's be participators, not spectators. As one, we worship. Our worship expressed through finance, expressed through our singing and music. See, our worship doesn't point to me, it doesn't point to us even as a church. It actually points to God. Matthew 5, very, very well-known passage of scripture, but I want you to think about it in terms of what happens at the end. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be a light, bringing out the God colours of the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make light, you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By, by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. See that Jesus is saying at that moment, what you do with your lives, what I do with my worship, my finances, my singing, actually can prompt people to open up to God. So that's where it points. Our worship, with this, I just I want to finish and pray in a moment, but our worship requires faith. And, and both, not just in our finances, but in our singing as well. It requires faith because we're saying, God, I'm going to trust you for what I don't have, for what I'm giving you, I'm trusting you. But we're also saying, I, I, may, I may come to church and I don't feel like singing. My circumstances outside of this environment, outside of the place where we experience your presence in a, in a different way, it, it's not perfect, it's not great. In fact, it actually can be pretty dire. But God, I am not going to allow what's happening out there to dictate my worship to you. So our worship requires faith but it also requires generosity the giving of ourselves i'm i'm going to put others needs above my own that person that stood next to me in church may need to hear me sing and give my worship because it might inspire and encourage them to also do the same as we sing and worship through music corporately together but that generosity is also about finance as well this isn't, generosity isn't about a begrudgingly giving. Exodus 35 tells the account of the children of Israel as they brought their, the, the resources that they had to help build the temple. It said that they had hearts that were willing. Yeah, God gave the plans and the motivation, but actually the people brought the resources. And so... As we bring our worship both in finance and we bring our worship in, in our corporate singing through music, what we are doing is saying as one, we are, we are building God's house and we are committed to seeing his kingdom come in the world around us, but also making a home for God, as it says in Ephesians, that God makes his home with us as we worship him. Can I pray with you? Father God, I thank you for your word. Thank you again for, Lord, this, this theme that we are coming together as one. And I pray, God, that the words that I've given, God, I pray that no one get mixed up in people's emotions, but will bring clarity to this subject. Lord, I'm believing that as we align ourselves around 
our vision here to, to see Saskatoon, to see Saskatchewan, and maybe to bring influence in Canada as well. Who knows? But God, we do that out of alignment, out of unity, out of being as one. Thank you, God, that we do have this opportunity, even online, to worship you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. As I said earlier, it's going to bring a challenge to people that are watching me right now that don't know Jesus or that have wandered away. And I'd love for the privilege of praying with you in a moment. All I'm going to do is say a simple prayer and that will help maybe articulate what's going on in your life and your thinking at the moment. So Jesus extends his welcome to us. He extends his welcome, he extends his forgiveness, his grace, his hope, his love to each and every one of us. And we can be recipients of all of those if we simply say yes to him and submit our will to his will. And if you're, you're in a place where you're saying, yeah, that's what I want. I don't, I don't know everything. I just know that I need, I need this Jesus in my life. I need to give him my life. I need to know his forgiveness. I need to know his love and his hope. Then let me pray with you right now. All I'm going to do right now, as I said, is say a simple prayer. And I'd love for everyone where you are in your living room or workplace or wherever it is you're watching this. I'd love for you to bow your heads just for a moment so we can pray together. And if you're one of those people that's saying yes to Jesus, I'm going to tell you what you can do in a moment. But, but I'd love for you to pray this prayer, whether it's out loud or in your heart. It's up to you. So let's pray. Dear God, I come to you now and I give you my life. I thank you for extending your love and your grace and your forgiveness to me. God, I want to be a recipient of that love. I accept your love right now. I ask for forgiveness of my sin. I ask for forgiveness for living my life my way and not yours. But I'm coming home right now. And I thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you did make that decision, whether it's for coming for the first time or, or I guess re coming home as a, as a prodigal, the way the Bible describes it, we'd love to connect with you. And then there's some simple next steps. The first one is, can I say, go out maybe today, maybe tomorrow, but tell someone what you've done. Say, I made this decision to follow Jesus. They may, they may not have a clue, but you see what it does, it, it establishes it in your heart and you never know what questions it will help raise up in their mind as well. So go out and tell someone. But then can I say, come back next week. You are part of a community. Yes, it's, it's online at the moment, but we're still walking this walk together and we'd love you to be part of this. But the last thing is, we want to connect with you and we actually want to give you a gift. We've got a, a New Testament here. We've got New Testaments here in the church that we actually want to get out to you. But the only way we can do that is to know who you are. So if you're pressing the, uh, I get the raise your hand button in a moment, you can do that now. Why don't you just go to the next step and, and request to speak to someone? They'll get a few details and then we can actually send out a New Testament to, to help you have a reminder, but also help you get into a reading the word of God as well. And so just before I hand back to, uh, to Bailey in Saskatoon, I'd love for all of us to pray for people in our world. Just before I do that, another email that I received this week, someone, as I prayed that prayer, someone then emailed me later on this, this week and said, you know, when you prayed for courage, I took up the courage and sent the link to the, the church service to my son who really enjoyed watching it, never watched it before. And so that's what I'm talking about. So let's pray. Father God, 
I thank you for today. But God, what happens today should equip us for tomorrow. God, I pray that you put people in our way this week, even with our social isolation. God, I pray that you put people in our way, God, that, that need you. I pray that you give us courage to speak to them. I pray you give us opportunity to speak to them. And I pray that you give us wisdom what to say when we speak to them. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, church, have a blessed week. Bailey, back to you in Saskatoon. Love you guys. See you next week. Take care.